This is Prolific, a collection of conversations with creative people about what compels them to make the things they do and how they deal with fear, uncertainty, and doubt along the way. I'm Joseph Rooks. My guest for this episode is Deb Teasley, an artist whose mandalas are based on the special way her brain experiences music. Deb is a synesthesia artist, and her particular type of this neurological phenomenon connects the sounds of music with activity in the brain that's usually associated with colors. As an outsider looking in, it was fun to try to understand it in terms that I could actually relate to. We also covered a lot of ground about building technical skills through practice, having realistic expectations about how fast you can get good at something new, and how to use social media instead of letting it use you. Hope you enjoy the conversation. This is actually the first time we've ever had a real conversation, I think. It is. It is. We met entirely through Instagram, um, and those have been really my favorite kind of relationships recently because I've met some super cool and very interesting, unique people that way. Definitely. I actually followed you on Instagram because we lived close together for a while. I was in Norfolk for about eight months. Oh, that's right. And so I was just looking around on Instagram at all the local tags and seeing who's who. And I followed you and then you started doing the stuff that you're doing now. And then, then that was just all over my feed. So why don't you tell everybody who you are and just the gist of why I asked you to be on the show? Yeah, sure. So I'm Deb Teasley. I'm a synesthesia artist. Can you explain a little bit about what that is for people who don't know? Because I didn't. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, synesthesia is a neurological condition that creates a crossed sensory response to stimuli. Um, That's the textbook version. What that means for me, and I say that because there are so many different types that I've actually started learning about. Uh, But what it means for me is when I hear music, I see or perceive, I guess you could say, a color response to that. So I have a visual color representation of music and actually certain sounds in life. Um, for instance, my my dog, Angel, I call it her human bark mm-hmm. uh, because it's very different from, you know, if there's a rabbit outside, if there's a human that's getting close to our house, her bark sounds a particular golden yellow to me. Oh, wow. Yeah. Is your dog golden by any chance? She is. She's a lab. She's a golden lab. Okay. Yeah. So I kind of correspond. So when that happens, what's that actually like? Is it something that you see around you or is it something you have to close your eyes to see or is it just something that's really hard to explain to somebody who doesn't know? Uh, For me, it's inside my brain. So unlike other synesthets who actually have, you know, shapes and colors that are around them and they can visually see them, it's something that's triggered in my mind almost as if, if I tell you to think of the color blue it would, you'd see the color blue in your mind. Um, And for me, it triggers a response like that, only it's much quicker and and it moves with the tempo. And I I actually think that it's somehow related to uh, the tones and the chords. I haven't mapped it out, but I, I think it's connected to that and that certain tones sound a certain hue or a certain color to me. So if you think of an orchestra with all of those different instruments, playing highly technical music. It's, it's almost like my own personal light show in my mind. Wow. That reminds me a little bit of the scene in Ratatouille where he's comparing the flavors of the cheese versus the mushroom. Oh, I don't yeah. know if you, you, yeah. you know the scene I'm talking about. Yeah. 
you know, he bites the cheese and it's a swirl of golden and then he bites the mushroom and it's sort of this like spark of red or maybe it's vice versa because I think the cheese was cheddar. So it was like a sparky kind of flavor. Yeah. And then he puts them together and it just swirls into this vision of something completely, all, something altogether different. Yeah, that's a great representation. I'm actually going to use that in the future <laughs> to help explain. And so you started making art out of this. I did. Um, and to be honest, you know, I've had synesthesia my whole life, but I didn't know it. Well, I knew I had it, but I didn't know it was a thing. I didn't know it had a name um, until about, you know, a couple of years ago. I didn't realize, you know, I, I was always a creative kid. Um, I kind of existed in my own realm, I guess you could say. And um, I, I guess I just thought that it was something that I was making up. I didn't realize that it was a neurological condition and that not everyone experiences music the way that I do. Um, and once I figured that out, uh, I thought, well, maybe this is the doorway into this creativity that I had actually been seeking at that time. So did you just think that it was a function of imagination rather than it's something that not everybody has? Yeah, I did. I kind of compared it to, you know how you connect color to emotions, like you can be green with envy or, you know, red is angry and yellow is very happy. Uh, Well, music is very emotional. So I kind of connected it to that and thought, well, maybe this is me experiencing emotion through music, not realizing that it was the music itself causing it. Wow, that's so fascinating. And so, and so now with all of that going on in your head, what exactly are you doing with it and what are you making out of that? Uh, so I, I started very rudimentary at first. I was just using acrylics and watercolors, trying to capture what I was seeing, but I was so terrible at it. <laughs> Um, I just, I could never get it to look right. I could never get the colors to blend right. And I actually gave up on it for a long time. And then one day I was on my phone and I was scrolling through Pinterest and I was looking at mandalas and Zentangle patterns because I, I've always, I've always loved them. I, I find them very visually appealing um, and almost meditative when, when you're looking at them. It just, you know, it calms your mind down. Um, And as I was just scrolling through Pinterest, kind of wasting time, I was also listening to music. So I had, you know, color phenomenon happening in my head while I was looking at mandalas. And I just thought, well, there's a huge river between these two things, but I wonder if there's a way to build a bridge and kind of connect the colors I was seeing with mandala patterns. Hmm. And that's just what birthed this whole idea. You know, I had never created mandalas in my life, I just kind of had a board on Pinterest that I was collecting them on because I liked them. And I, I finally sat down and tried to figure out how I could create a snapshot of a song and put it into a mandala. And that's what got me started. Uh, where I am now, I, I try not to take snapshots of songs anymore. I try to create a mandala pattern that the song can kind of move through. Mm. And what I mean by that is, is I, when people are looking at my artwork, I say, don't, don't look for the song. Don't look for the song in the mandala one, because your brain probably doesn't work that way. And it might be frustrating. And two, because I create the patterns so that when you're listening to it, your mind moves the mandala with the song. So maybe the layers are spinning or maybe they're pulsating or blinking 
Um, and that really is my experience with synesthesia. It, the music moves the colors in my mind. Um, and that's how I started creating and doing what I'm doing today. That's really fascinating. You know, in art, there is a lot of talk about how when you're done making something and you put it out into the world, you just kind of have to let go of it and let it be whatever it is. Mm -hmm. But in your case, because of the way your mind works, when you put something out in the world and then somebody else experiences it, they experience it completely different from you in a way that, you know, maybe there's something that's not there for them that's there for you. Yeah. Does that ever come up in your conversations with other people about your work? And, and what do people say about that? Or, or how do people interact with your work in a way that's different from maybe the way you do? Uh, I think in the beginning when I first started, when I was really trying to take the song and just put it into one image, I had a lot of people saying like, wow, that's so unique, but I really just don't see, I really don't see that. Or how did you come up with that? I just, I don't understand how this connects. Is it the instruments? Is it the voice? Is it the lyrics? It's your brain. Your brain was the missing link. Yeah, it's my brain on paper, uh, which is, I think, a difficult thing uh, to try and capture and then also to explain on top of that. Uh, which is why I started to do it the the way that I do now. That's kind of interesting, though, because it's almost like it's a visual representation of neurological differences between people. And, and I think just the fact that you can create a piece of artwork that makes two people so acutely aware of how different your brains are is sort of like enabling empathy in a, in a different way. Yes, absolutely. Um, and it's it's also made me wonder if synesthesia is kind of on a sliding scale because uh, I've gotten into conversations with people where, you know, they say they don't have synesthesia, but the song feels very pink when I was using a lot of blues and greens. Mm. And I'm like, well, that that's kind of like synesthesia a little bit. You may not have a visual representation, but you're still feeling color within the music. Um, so it's made me wonder if it's a little bit more common than what they say it is. There's that. And I also wonder if, if it doesn't just make people ponder what colors things would be based on the sound, even if that's not something that they have in their brain. It makes them more consciously aware of, oh, here's a new way of thinking about it that might not be built into the way I think, but I can get there mentally. Absolutely. And I think it's a way to really expand on your own creativity to think about something that's purely auditory, but to give it a visual representation that's a huge stretch of of the mind and it doesn't have to be a mandala it can be it can be anything really if you if you put your mind to it so when you were a kid you said that you had this sort of feeling already that that this was something that was inside of your head you didn't know the name for it did it influence the way you did things creatively in any way then or is it is it something that you just turned into creative momentum as you started to understand what it was you know, I can't think of anything when I was a kid. I do remember taking piano lessons and really struggling with uh, the finger positions on certain chords. Like I just, I couldn't remember. And I do remember that I knew the color of what the separate keys were. And in my piano book, I would write down, you know, which finger was supposed to be on which color. Oh, wow. And that's how I... I learned or 
you know, struggled <laughs> through piano lessons for a long time. If you had a piano that had the keys labeled with the right colors, do you feel like you would be able to learn to play it more easily? I would love to be able to sit down and figure that out. I, I probably would be able to if I sat down and I, you know, mapped out what my synesthesia is and I could connect what keys are which colors. Um, it would probably make learning a lot easier for me. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about the tools you use to make your mandalas and sort of how you acquired the creative skills to use those. Because I think there are a lot of people out there who are in the situation you were in the first time you tried, right? Where you try to get good at something. You're just not as good as you feel like you should be. And then you get frustrated and you give up because you haven't found the right way to do it your way. Right. You know, how did, how did you sort of overcome that? What were the things you had to try or even what were the things that were frustrating for you at first that you overcame? I think uh, the hardest thing in the beginning was just realizing how poor my technical skills were. <laughs> um, and I, I had to acquire a compass. I had to find a ruler for the longest time. I wasn't using a ruler and I was just, you know, trying to go by hand and make straight lines and you can actually see in some of my earlier work that it's a little bit sloppier, or at least I think it's a little bit sloppier than what I do right now, because I wasn't relying on um, some very simple and basic tools that you can really find anywhere. And um, I also had to play with the type of medium I was using. And finally, you know, after going through paints and Sharpie markers, ended up with these fine liner markers um, and it's like a set of 300 different colors. So I have every color of the spectrum that I can kind of pull from in my toolbox. Um, and it was really, it was just a lot of trial and error. Was there a medium that you just hated working with completely and had, you feel like it has no redeeming qualities? <laughs> <laughs> Any kind of paint I'm useless with <laughs> any kind of acrylic, Oil, you know, forget about it. I just don't. Uh, and it's not the medium. It, it's really me that I just didn't mesh well with it. And I couldn't get as much detail out of it as I wanted and was just a constant struggle <laughs> of trying to get, you know, what's in my head onto the, the paper canvas. Over what period of time did you kind of go through that struggle before you landed on the tools you're actually using now? Was it like a couple of years, a couple of months? Oh, man, uh, probably like six to eight months or so, close to a year of just struggling <laughs> to, to figure out what what's going to work. And, you know, I say six to eight months, but there were breaks in there where I would try something and then I just take time away from art completely and then come back and, and try it again. So it was a lot of, you know, starting, having it not work and kind of drawing back and thinking and reflecting and then coming back and, and doing it again to see if I could get it right the next time. There's a lot of sort of uncertainty around learning how to make art in the first place. Mm -hmm. Did you find there was any uncertainty for you about what you were doing and what you were making and why you were making it? Was there any hesitation or were you worried about not being understood or being judged or? Oh, yeah. You know, what, what was that like? At the time, I was struggling with mental health issues. Um, so I was, I was very low. I was just in a, a low place and I knew I needed a creative outlet to kind of help with healing from that, which is a huge part of my inspiration. 
And from the very beginning until right now, um, I think I, I question and struggle on a regular basis what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. And when it comes down to it, it's, it's really that I, I'm creating it for myself first because it, it's very healing for me to sit down and work and spend so much time and see something through to completion. It, it just takes a tremendous amount of, of focus. And I, I think to be able to do that and do it for myself first and then share it with others, knowing that I'd be doing it anyway. And I think that was also very key, knowing that, you know, even if this isn't accepted and I don't get the engagement or, you know, I don't get the likes or the inquiries, I'm still going to do this no matter what. So I, I just decided once I knew that, that I was going to share it and whatever happens, happens and that it, it didn't matter so much how the world responded because it, it was such a deeply personal process. That's interesting because a lot of people would think, because this is so deeply personal, I'm not going to share it. But when you put it out there in the world, what was the response? Uh, there was a lot of people that had never heard of synesthesia before. So there was a lot of education around that, which was great because I had just discovered it. So I had to teach myself about it and to be able to teach others about it. And there was a lot, I started to get a lot of people sending me music, which was I mean, still is probably the greatest part of this whole process is that when people hear music now um, and they know of me or about me, I, I get tagged in people's stories all the time. I have people sending me random messages like, hey, I just heard this song. I really think you should listen to it. Um, it might be a cool idea for your project. So it, it just opened up this way to engage with people through social media or you know, anything, uh, to talk about music, uh, in this really unique and special way. That's really interesting. I, I, I hadn't even thought about that, but now that you said that, it makes me want to start sending you music just <laughs> that I think is good. Not even, yeah. not even, not even because I want to get your reaction to it for myself, but just because, just because there's something interesting about being able to share something in that way where it's like, I can send you something and you could get something out of it that I'm a hundred percent sure I could never get out of it. I could never appreciate it in the same way. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, I love discovering new music and so much of it is stuff that I would have never found on my own. Um, and it's really just, you know, my Spotify has a whole new face now <laughs> with mm. all of the music that people are sending me. Uh, I'll bet. Yeah. It's really special. Um, and something that I really enjoy. Is it just colors in your brain or is it, are, are there textures? Are there um, sort of other characteristics like, you know, like the Ratatouille scene is a swirling golden spark thing. Is it just colors or is it, is it different from that? A lot of it is just colors, but blending, you know, very smoothly and, and very seamlessly together and kind of wispy. Um, there are sometimes like speckled dots or um, bands of colors and if there, you know, if there is a particular band or something that's really sticking out, I always try to capture that in the mandala. I do my best if it, it doesn't fit with traditional mandala patterns, which some of them, some of them do, and it works really nicely. 
but some of the ones that I've come up with aren't really mandalas at all. I don't even know what <laughs> you could call them uh, because I always try to honor um, the strange things that kind of pop up that aren't just a color blend. So the shapes of your mandalas, those are not so much informed by the colors themselves. Those are more of a, a purely, you know, creating from scratch. Mm-hmm sort of effort for you, right? How do you decide, you know, oh, on this one, it's going to be like more teardrop shaped or this one's going to be a little more blocky or angular or, or what have you. Is that just something that you'd feel out as you go? Or do you listen to the lyrics of a song and try to construct something that you feel like represents the flow of it? Uh, so I guess that's, I feel like that's more of an invisible part of the synesthesia, which is a weird thing to say, but some songs just have really sharp edges um, or some songs are, are smoother and, and more rounded. So I would use something that's more of a teardrop or, um, and there, there have been instances when the lyrics kind of also impact that. Um, so maybe I'll have a more flowery pattern if the vocals are a little bit softer. I guess what I'm trying to say is there are a lot of different, aspects outside of the color like there's there's texture and there's movement that also inspires the the different patterns gotcha uh, that go into it and do you feel like those are sort of outside of the range of synesthesia they're just part of the creative process i do i think so um and actually one of the things i started to do uh online was share the color palettes before i create the mandala uh, just so, you know, it's not like I listened to the song and I created this art and here, take a look. <laughs> mm. I, I started to do the first step, which is getting the colors down on paper uh, and the movement of the colors and putting that up first so people could see actually what it looks like and then allowing the creative process to really take those colors and movements and put it into a mandala form. It would be really interesting if there was a way to sort of see your color palette for a song next to everybody else's color palette for a given song. Oh, I would love that. <laughs> so you can see, you know, here are the most common colors that this song is. <laughs> yeah. And I, I wonder if there is similarity among different synesthets um, with music, if there's certain notes or instruments that tend to have the the same sounding color or... I don't know. I feel like there could be so much research that's done. Maybe there has been, and I haven't discovered it yet, but it feels like such a unique phenomenon that you could really, really study and dig into. It seems like the kind of thing that's really hard to describe. And I'm not sure how much research has actually been done into it, but I wouldn't be surprised to find out that it's something that's only really emerged consciously in, in recent times because it's a term I've seen pop up in a couple of places, but didn't really look into. But I remember very, very vaguely remember seeing it pop up about seven or eight years ago on Twitter. And it seems like the kind of thing that would emerge because, because of the scale of the internet, just increasing the odds of two people that have that in common sort of bumping into each other in a situation where it's not weird to talk about that, you know, because yeah. you'd never go up to a stranger in the bar and be like, hey, you know, this song feels really yellow to me. <laughs> but on Twitter, you might say something like that and, and somebody sees it and goes, wow, I get what you're saying. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. And you know what? That's how I found it. I found it 
online. I, I just happened to stumble upon an article about it. And I was like, that sounds oddly familiar to me. Right. <laughs> sounds like what I experienced. What's the space like that you, that you make your art in? Do you have a dedicated space for it? or? Yeah, I'm lucky enough to have my own office space in our house. Um, it's multi-purpose, so there, you know, there's a bunch of other stuff in here, but I have a desk, you know, by the window, so I have good light with all of my little basic tools and stuff like that. Uh, so I, I think I'm lucky. I know a lot of artists who, you know, work off their kitchen table sometimes, and so I, I feel thankful that I have my own little sacred space for that. How much do you feel like your environment affects the way that you feel when you're sitting down to do some kind of work? Oh, very, very much so. So I, I have lots of really calming things in this space, like candles and, you know, pretty crystals. And when I say sacred space, I, I really do mean sacred space. Like it's, it's a very calming environment where I come specifically to create or to calm down or to just kind of be and exist um, in my own skin. And I think that I wouldn't be as productive um, and my art wouldn't be as engaging if I was doing it someplace else. Like, I don't think I could do this in a coffee shop somewhere or um, downstairs in our kitchen. I just, I don't think it would work as well as when I, I come into this space and know this is what I'm here for. Do you feel like you do a good job of controlling the inputs into your brain from other people so that you maybe don't have as much noise in your life or don't have as much negative input or is, is that something you've put thought into like, like push notifications and social media and comments on Instagram that are all over the place and just the random things you bump into on the internet. How do you sort of manage the way those things either make you feel something or the way that you don't allow them to make you feel something? So I actually, now that I've never thought of this before, um, but I think that, uh, and this is one of the reasons why I do not use Facebook anymore <laughs> because of a lot of the negativity that was kind of uh, weaseling its way into my newsfeed. So I'm very rarely on there. But I think that there were just a lot of negative aspects in my life at once. That that's one of the reasons why I started to do this. And I really, I changed the way I use social media because I think I, I say social media because I think that's um, where the majority of that negativity comes from, at least in my life. And I think that once I, I started doing this and I changed the way I was viewing and using social media, that helped calm down the negativity. So just cutting out Facebook was great. And filling my Instagram with other artists has been really great. So being very particular about who I'm following um, and making sure that they're, they're posting things that are positive and are very uplifting greatly, greatly helped me out. And then also using it as a part of the creative process. So using it as a way to document, but not so much concerned about the feedback that was coming in because it, something about it allowed me to view my work through a different lens so a lot of the times, and this is going to sound a little weird, I think, but a lot of the times I use social media and Instagram 
to step back from my art and view it from a different perspective, from the, from the eyes of a viewer, really. So what is this going to look like when I put it out into the world? And once I started using it in that way, all of those other negative things started to die down because I had just stopped using it to gather information. Instead, I was just using it to push out information. Yeah, you know, that reminds me a little bit of the, you know, a professional painter or a photographer exhibiting their art in a gallery space. Yeah. They're not so much doing that to get the comments and the feedback. They're doing it to sort of get their work to its final destination. Yes, that's a great way to put it. There's a little bit of a, an element of finality to it when you see it in the final place that you want it to land. Mm-hmm. Even if you own the original somewhere in your house, you know that you're sort of hanging, hanging it on the wall, putting a pin in it, saying, this is it. This is the finished piece. Yes. Sometimes that's the piece that makes a thing feel finished. It does. And I, I think it really it, it gave that to me. Um, and it helped to calm down those other, you know, the, the negative aspects that you, we, none of us really need in our lives. Yeah. I feel like it's easy to open up a social media site like Facebook or Instagram and just kind of let it happen to you. Yes. <laughs> yes. But then when you go into it and you're opening it because you already have something in mind that you want to do with it, it's a very different mental space. And so it's like, Instagram in one context versus the other is almost like two entirely different products. Mm-hmm. That's very true. Um, and that's a great way to look at it too. Um, because when I first signed up for it, um, it really felt like, you know, when you're out in the park or at a playground and there's like this one five-year-old that is like, mom, mom, hey, mom, look, look <laughs> at me. Well, that's kind of how I viewed social media. Like social media is the playground and we're all that five-year-old just like, screaming at the top of our lungs trying to get attention right and then depending on the algorithm you never know what you're going to get in in your newsfeed. so it can be a, a loud voice that's very negative or you can find people who are super positive and are very creative and inspirational um, it just depends on you and the control that you have over it so do you unfollow a lot of people like liberally if you find that they're just not on the same wavelength of you? Yeah, I do. And I think everyone should. I think that if, you know, you're not vibing, you don't have to get along with with everyone. And I'm not saying you should be hateful and spiteful and send nasty messages. But if you're finding that someone just isn't vibing with you or maybe you've drifted and gone in two separate directions, I think it's okay to unfollow. And I don't think that has anything to do with loyalty. I think it has to do with self-care and, and taking care of yourself. That's definitely true. I find myself unfollowing, muting a lot of people in the feed just in real time almost. Yeah. I don't go on unfollow sprees or unfriending sprees. I just do it based on how something feels. I'll see something come across the feed and think, that just really makes me feel bad or this really just doesn't add anything or, you know, this person's complaining and I don't really want complaining around me. And so right then and there, I'll just go and and unfollow that person and that's it. I don't have to subject myself to that. And a lot of people I feel like don't, they're not consciously aware of the fact that moment by moment, you can take that kind of control of what's coming into you. Absolutely. It's just kind of like, oh, I followed you. So now I'm stuck with you forever. Yeah. Like where, where in real life does that happen? You know, you, you grow apart from friends or acquaintances all the time in the real world. 
or you decide actively to not be friends with someone in the real world. Right. Those same rules apply to social media. Or you decide to like not answer somebody's phone calls five times in a row. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So creatively, is there anything you've got that you're sort of looking ahead to sort of in the works? Are there any side projects you want to do or that you're working on now that you're excited about? No, no real side projects. I have recently, I did a call for hip hop and R&B songs. One of the people in my feed, they're like, you, you do the same kind of music all the time. I want to see other music. And I was like, you know what, that's fair. Because uh, a lot of the times I'm creating for myself. So I'm picking my favorite songs, you know. What are your favorite songs that you've done mandalas for? Oh, that's a tough one. That's like asking, like, who's your favorite child? Say it publicly on the record so that all of them can hear it. <laughs> so everyone can know. Um, I think Only the Wild Ones by Dispatch was probably mm. one of my favorite, favorite Uh, songs to do and I say that because when I'm creating a mandala I have that same song on repeat (laughs) for days days on end I think I probably drive my husband crazy uh, because it'll just be on repeat constantly because that's what helps me decide you know the patterns and how it's going to move and look so definitely dispatch only the wild ones do you have a favorite song that's not a favorite mandala um like do you have a favorite song of all time I so I'm a huge John Denver fan, <laughs> and I did Country Roads by John Denver. It's it's a huge part of my childhood. I, I grew up listening to him, and I lived in West Virginia for a little while, so I'm super nostalgic about the song. And I did it, and I just wasn't I wasn't super happy with it. I think that would probably be. Did you know that John Denver is not his real name? What? No. His real name is Henry John Deutschendorf Jr. Oh my gosh, that's going to blow my family's mind. <laughs> that's amazing. But you know, Henry John Deutschendorf Jr. sings with the Muppets does not have the same ring to it. No, definitely <laughs> not. Definitely not. That's so funny. Well, this has been a really nice conversation. Thank you so much for taking time to talk to me. Sure. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. This has been really good. Thank you so much. And you want to Tell everybody where they can find you on the internet if they want to look you up and follow all the stuff you're doing. Oh, yeah, sure. So um, you can find me at my website. It's debteasley.com. Teasley is T-E-A-S-L-E-Y. And then you can find me on Instagram. That's probably where I'm most active. It's at Debalyn, D-E-B-B-A-L-Y-N-N. Awesome. Everybody go check that out. Thanks so much for being on. Sure. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.